Good morning. Please uh, join me in a New Zealand Australian speech. <laughs> and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I invite you to turn back a few pages in our uh, guide. If you had a copy of it in front of you, um, you'd find find this on the the page with the the lyrics for the song "Let the Stable Still Astonish." Uh, the reading from Luke chapter one, verses forty-six to fifty-five. It's one of the four gospels in the New Testament. Luke's gospel, and. Um, We'll be diving deeper into that part of the story here in just a moment. Um, I, I'm standing on thin ice. I feel like I'm, I'm about to, I run the risk of taking a side in a debate that could fuel conflict. And the debate is whether Kate read these words in an Australian accent or a Kiwi accent. And Kate, you'll have to forgive me. My ear is not tuned finely enough to, to, to even touch that question without triggering you know, international crisis. <laughs> so I'm just going to be Switzerland about this and say it was lovely. Whatever, whatever accent it was, it was lovely. Okay, so... Um, Kate was reading to us part of a, a song, a poem, a hymn that's in the New Testament. It, it goes by the name the Magnificat. Um, it's Mary's song, the song that she sings when she's together with her cousin Elizabeth. They are celebrating the fact that they're both expecting baby boys. Elizabeth, a boy who would be named John the Baptist, and um, Mary, a boy who would be named... Jesus. And the first line of her song says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so in Latin, it got the title the Magnificat. Um, this whole Advent season, when we celebrate coming of Jesus, Advent means coming to, um, we're celebrating the coming of a king, a king who has come once and will come again. We've been using this piece of art by a, a French artist named James Tissot, now, I'd like for us to look at another artwork done by him, and it's a painting of the Magnificat. And um, it's, a, it's a picture of 
Mary, and in the background are her relative Elizabeth and uh, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. And uh, one of the things that you would notice about this painting, if you could look at it uh, in detail, is that it's full of then and there accuracy. Mary is wearing the right kind of clothing for a first century Palestinian woman. And um, many versions of this online uh, blow it up so you can see detail, but they cut out some of the most important detail. They cut out the bottom part of the painting where you can see Mary's feet. Those are just the right kinds of sandals. When archaeologists dig up old leather sandals from the first century, that's what they look like. James Tussaud prided himself on um, painting that reflected the then and there reality of the people he was painting. And you'll notice that the, um, excuse me, I, I hit the wrong button here. I got excited about this painting. Carry away. Notice what Mary's standing on. Again, if you cut out the bottom half of the picture, you miss this. She's standing on stones. Because in first century Nazareth, what do you build stuff out of? Rock, stone. Um, and so uh, Joseph the carpenter, the, the Greek word used to describe him means craftsman would have built as many things out of stone as out of wood, probably more out of stone. And so there's a whole lot about this painting that is lovely in terms of it, it captures the accuracy of the then and then there. But in our modern world, there's a danger that that gets misinterpreted. Because we have believed a myth that C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. That if it doesn't come from now... It isn't wise or true. It has to come from now or maybe even from the future to be wise or true. And um, so if we were to adopt that perspective and apply it to Mary's song about Jesus or any of the other parts of the story we've been reading today that comes from the scriptures, this story of how God is planning to rescue his good world, through the coming of Jesus, then we would assume that his coming and what it accomplished was irrelevant for us because it was all about the then and the there. Um, it's only for then. It's an ancient story. It comes from ancient scriptures, so it has nothing to do with us now. How could it? Or it's only for them. Now, I'm thanking members of our IDX student ministry for sitting down with me a couple months ago and talking this through, and they taught me something. They said, hey, you know what? Many of the people that, that we go to school with every day, our friends, the people we rub shoulders with every day, their assumption is that Jesus only came for Christians. That is, this story about Jesus is only relevant for people who are already born into a Christian culture, whatever that might be, however it might be defined, or people who are born into Christian families, or people who have chosen to become part of the Christian tradition. But for everyone else, it's just a story, and it's not relevant. So two strikes against you, Mary, in your song. We love it, but it's only for then and there, and it's only for people like you. It may contain some truth, but that truth only fits one time period. It only fits one geography. It only fits one ethnicity. It's not for me. It can't offer help now, and it can't offer truth to me. Mary's song 
is very different from that attitude. Mary's singing a song that says, you know what God is doing in the coming of Jesus? It has significance for all people in all times and all places. Why? How? First of all, it's a song about healing for all people. Jesus' coming, according to Mary's song, begins a great reversal that will heal the wounds of our world. And these are wounds that impact all people. Not just people who live in a certain time or place. Not just people who are already part of a Christian culture or tradition. All people suffer from wounds. I'll call them wounds of suffering. Um, What do they include? Well, they include things like hunger and poverty. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Mary is singing a song that says, I live in a world full of hunger and poverty and we want it to be healed. Wounds of helplessness. She's singing like somebody who can't help herself and she needs help from someone else. Right? She sings a song about the mighty one doing great things for me. She sings a song about one who shows mercy. Why? Because we live in a world where every human being suffers from deep wounds about which we can do nothing. We cannot erase hunger. We can begin to change it. But can any of us single-handedly stop anyone from going hungry ever again? No. Can we start to change poverty? Yes, we should. We must. But can we get rid of it? Can we wave a wand and make it go away forever? No, we're, there's a level of helplessness. Now, that shouldn't paralyze us. So, you know, because we can't do everything, let's do nothing. Nope. Not healthy. But Mary's singing a song that says we are wounded. And and another way we're wounded is this kind of, Mary calls it humiliation. Now trust me that um, when, when our English translations talk about Mary's humble estate, verse 48 uses that phrase and uh, it's used again in verse 52 of Mary's song. Humble estate, humble estate, humble estate. You know what? That sounds so old-fashioned as to be meaningless to most of us. The word is humiliation. We live in a world where people get humiliated, where people get brought down low and kept there by others who have the capacity to do something about it, but don't. That's what humiliation is about. It's it's living in a set of life circumstances that are degraded And the people who have the resources to do something about it despise you so much that they won't help. Mary's singing a song about that kind of reality. She's not singing a spiritual song about a sweet little Jesus boy who needs to lay in the manger so that we can sell more manger scenes and write more sweet songs. She's singing about a world that is suffering through wounds. Don't dismiss Jesus as irrelevant to you because his story comes to us through ancient scriptures. Don't miss the fact that he is coming into our world. He has come once and he will come again to heal deep wounds. And when you hear a story about chronological snobbery, 
When, when this world tells you the story that Jesus can't be relevant to you because his story comes to us from ancient people and an ancient book, you remember Mary's song. You resist that story. And remember the song that Mary sings about real wounds that are carried by all people. All right. When Jesus comes, it has significance for all people and for all time. Um, okay, I have to show you a picture that I took. Selfie. This is my hand. Like, Jimmy, what are you doing? Walking through a construction site? Picking up nails? No, this is me living in Atlanta. I love living in Atlanta. We've lived here for a little over seven years now. We love it. But I got to tell you something about Atlanta. There are more old nails on the roads here than anywhere I've ever lived. All right, put your hand up if you have driven home with one of these in your tire, right? And, okay, so this was not me walking through a construction site. This is me walking from Kroger halfway to our church. I'm on a phone call, and as one does when you're on a phone call, you know, you're like doing something to kind of, you know, just to keep, keep, keep your body engaged while your brain is spinning on the phone call. And my something was... I'm going to pick up all the nails I see. Hmm. You know what it's like to have a tire that keeps going down, right? Since moving to Atlanta, I've had this process happen so many times. You got that tire that just, and the tire gauge like comes on. And you're like, I'll just put a little more air in it, pump it back up. Three days later, pump it back up. Well, you know what the problem is, right? You put, keep putting all the air you want in that tire until you take the nail out. It's not a long-term fix. It's just something temporary. Mary's singing a song that's about we, a need we have for healing for not only for all people, but for all time. A permanent fix to what's wrong with humanity. right? And it isn't just something that's temporary. Put a little more air in me and I'll be okay. It's something permanent. I've got a nail running right through my heart. And until you fix that, I will be the one who keeps introducing these wounds into the world. Because what if I'm hungry and poor and you give me food and you give me money and now I become a well-fed rich person who hates hungry poor people? What if I am living in that humble estate of humiliation, down and out, kept low by other people, and you help me and you give me a hand up and you lift me out of that, and then I become the kind of person who humiliates others from my new position? <laughs> Are you the only one who wonders that about yourself? Am I the only one in the room who is afraid that if you turn me loose <laughs> with the right resources and the right circumstances... I will destroy everything I touch. I don't live in a world where people just need a short-term fix. Jesus came to heal two kinds of wounds. He came to heal the wounds of human suffering, outward life circumstances like hunger and poverty. We sing songs that say, change shall he break. The slave is our brother. 
Not meaning, you know, Jesus sets us free from spiritual slavery to sin. Yes, he does, but guess what? He wants literal slavery to end also. Jesus has come to heal that kind of wound, the wounds of human suffering and the outward circumstances of life, but he's also come to heal this deeper inner life of the human heart that has a tendency to twist and distort and corrupt and corrode nearly every good thing we touch. And you can keep putting air into that tire and you can say, hey, the, the real problem in the world is, let me tell you why I think Jesus is irrelevant. I think Jesus is irrelevant because he doesn't fix the real problem. Oh, really? Tell me what the real problem is. The real problem is all these terrible aspects of human suffering. And Jesus is irrelevant to me because he didn't come to fix those wounds. He just came to heal human hearts and souls. No, 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 no. You got it all backward. Jesus is irrelevant to me because he, he only comes to fix all those outward circumstances. I, the Christians I talk to, they're only interested in hunger and poverty and ending slavery. and They need to get down to the real business of repairing the human heart. You see what I'm doing, right? Setting up this kind of false dichotomy, false choice. The reality is that Jesus is coming in the world to heal all of its wounds, and that would include both removing the nail from the tire and filling it with air again. Fix the immediate need. Work on the problems of human suffering. Yes, end hunger, end poverty. Break the chains of slavery. Yes, but go deeper than that. Take, the, take that nail out of every human heart that causes us to think, you know what? I used to be down and out, and now I've got it made, and I'm the one who deserves credit for it. I lived in humble estate, but now I don't. And you know what? I deserve it. And if you still are down and out, it's your fault. And I'm superior to you. Every human heart has a tendency to do that. kind of turn in to itself so that a life that was meant to be one of self-giving and sharing and love, love for God and love for neighbor, becomes all self-absorbed, self-consumed. Jesus has come to fix all of that. By the way, that's one of the reasons we're doing this prayer seminar in January is because spiritual people tend to turn prayer inward so that it becomes just another expression of individualism. In other words, part of my sabbatical was working with the author of, of a book called The Praying Church, Paul Miller. Um, and so for several months, we've been thinking about this, and he asked me to kind of read the book and give him some feedback. And one of the main themes of the book is... Um, Hey, in the Western world, we tend to make prayer all about something I do when I'm by myself. Whereas Scripture is a team activity, according to God. 
it's something we ought to share together with, with each other. And so Paul wrote a book called The Praying Life, and then he saw how Westerners turned it into just another form of expressive individualism, and he said, I'm going to write a book called The Praying Church. So we're going to do that in January. Jesus is going to pull the nail out a little bit more and say, you know how you take good things like prayer and turn them and make them all about you? Let's not do that. That's how deep the nail goes, though, isn't it? That, that even a good gift like talking to the Father who loves us becomes a conversation about talking to the Father who loves me and therefore I have a right to look down on you. No. There's a tendency to read Mary's song as though the real problem in the world is political. And there's a tendency to read Mary's song as though the real problem in the world is spiritual. The real problem in the world is that we have wounds that we can't heal. And we need Jesus to come and heal all the wounds, the wounds of human suffering and the wounds of human sin. I hope it's clear by now that when I say sin, I'm not talking about violating some kind of religious taboo. I am talking about this human tendency to distort and corrupt everything so that it becomes about me and my superiority to you. Everybody carries those wounds. So what Jesus comes to do is for all people and all time. And it's for the whole world. We said earlier that it's easy for people today to dismiss stories about Jesus, truth about him, the reality of who he is, as irrelevant because, well, it's only for Christians. It's, it's only for people like Mary. It's only for people who are part of the right ethnic group and are part of the right religious tradition. And Mary was part of the right tradition. You know, she was an Israelite. So she was waiting for the coming of this baby king. And, and so, yeah, relevant to her, but not to me. Um, that's where it helps us to zoom out a little bit and, and look at the context of Mary's song. Luke goes on later to repeat what Mary has already been singing. So Mary, Mary sings a song about a God who shows strength and might and it scatters the proud and it brings down the mighty from their thrones and it fills the hungry with good things. And, and yet it sends the rich who have despised the poor away empty this song of like turning the world upside down. Well, later as Luke, the writer of this gospel, gets ready to introduce the ministries of these two baby boys who have now grown up, John the Baptist and Jesus, Luke repeats what Mary has already been singing and he does it by reaching backward and quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at those for just a moment. This is in Luke chapter 3. Just in case we missed it when we heard Mary singing, Luke says it to us one more time using the words of Isaiah. Let every valley be filled 
Every mountain and hill shall be made low. You hear the theme from Mary's song again? The world's getting turned upside down. What's crooked will be made straight. The rough places will become level and smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Mary wasn't singing about a Jesus who is relevant only to first century Palestinian women like herself. She wasn't singing a song about a Jesus who is going to heal wounds that only people born in Christian families have. She wasn't singing about a Jesus who is going to do something important in the ancient world, but it has no relevance to a 21st century resident of Atlanta, Georgia. She was singing a song that says, Jesus has come to heal what's wrong with our world. And that is good news for every person, for all flesh. If you live on this planet, if you speak a language, then Jesus has come to heal the wounds of your heart and your world. Another way to capture that This is my new favorite drawing of the Magnificat, Mary singing her song. And if you look at it in detail, you'll see that the artist, uh, Maggie Nancaro, um, has captured that sense of how relevant Mary's song is for the here and now. One of the ways she captures that, if you're not great at art and symbolism, she draws a modern city in the background, (laughs) right? with uh, telephone wires and electric wires and lights shining through the windows. And then around the margin, down in the yellow and up in the pink, there's tractors and trucks and cars and 18-wheelers. Whatever Mary was singing about is for all times and places and all kinds of people because this Mary has a hairstyle that doesn't fit first century Palestine. James Tussaud would have looked at this picture and gone, I ain't painting that. I love his work, by the way. It's not a slam on him. It's a slam on the way we tend to read his paintings. And yet, Maggie draws her uh, image of Mary singing. She reminds us of a connection to the ancient world. She, She includes some Greek words on there. She's quoting the Greek words that Luke wrote 2,000 years ago. My soul magnifies the Lord. Right? This is something that is relevant to the here and the now. Quoting words that were originally written in a language that very few of us in this room have ever spoken. But by now, according to Wycliffe Bible translators, Luke's Greek Words have been translated into 3,495 languages. That's as of June of this year. All around this globe, people are hearing Mary's song in their own language as she sings about a king who has come once to begin the process of healing the wounds of our world and the wounds of our hearts, the wounds of human suffering and the wounds of human sin. Mary singing a song 
about wounds that won't be perfectly healed until that king comes again to finish the healing process he has started. So again, if you live on this planet anywhere, if you speak a language, no matter what background you come from, no matter what age you are, your ethnicity, do you come from the right kind of religious or philosophical or spiritual background? No matter who. God wants to say to you today, I'm, I'm offering to heal your wounds and I'm offering to heal the wounds of your world through Jesus. Let's take a moment and give thanks to him for that. Lord Jesus, um, your own people have forgotten many things over the centuries. Sometimes we forget that you want us to be part of what you're doing to heal the wounds of suffering in our world. And so forgive us, Lord, for the number of times that your church, your people, have forgotten to care for those who are hungry, those who are poor, those who are down and out. Lord, sometimes we have forgotten the need for a deeper inner healing. And we have begun to focus so much on healing the wounds of suffering that we've forgotten that, that the heart needs to be transformed too. So that those who have their own humiliation ended don't turn around to humiliate the rest of the world. Lord, forgive us for our tendency to forget half of what you have come to do. And would you draw us to yourself so that we could experience the healing you have for us now and the healing you have for us when you come again. Lord, those of us who have begun to experience that healing, we have forgotten how joyful it should make us restore our joy. And those of us who have thought this story was irrelevant to us, make us happy because today we've heard from you and you've said it's for everybody, everywhere. Thank you. Amen.